The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome, everybody. My name is Gabe Keller. Um, I'm subbing for Mark, who just got back from teaching a retreat out east. Very happy to be able to share some and hopefully explore together um, three different topics. I decided I'd just pick three things so I wouldn't have to run out of things. But uh, they're just three different topics that I've been reflecting on um, recently. Uh, and they're things that, topics, areas of our experience that don't get talked about as often. Um, in meditation circles, in my opinion. Um, so I'll just uh, start with the first one, which is this whole area of our uh, sexuality. And we had a speaker, uh, Niels Heyman, maybe some of you came, he gave a talk on uh, this topic, sex and the Dharma, friend or foe. So this is sort of building off. Of, uh, of his conversation. So, yeah, this is a really big topic. And, yeah, it's surprising, actually, to me that we don't talk about it as much. And who knows why that is. Probably a big reason is just... Um, cultural conditioning um, around this this area of our experience. Um, not, uh, yeah, not feeling like it's appropriate to talk about it in public. Um, but um, I found it a really rich area um, for understanding suffering and the end of suffering, um, yeah, there's just a lot going on. Um, Mark gave a talk on on sexuality as part of the Buddhist studies course on wholesome relationships. Uh, so I went back and listened to that today. <clears throat> um, and he, he's just kind of outlining in, in his experience different aspects of sexuality. <clears throat> One of them that uh, I thought was really interesting is um, the whole dynamic of tension and release. How uh, and uh, it's not something that that's unique to sexuality, um, but just that creation of desire and then the release. Um, and how even um, how it, it's in a, in a sense it's like um, painful to create a sense of tension of of need like and so in in some ways the release is just the release of that tension um, you know like if you really want something and then you get it there's that release. Um, and um, yeah, it's been interesting uh, in my experience recently. And you know, I've been you know, I've been meditating for about eight years, and and all along exploring this, but it just keeps deepening. And 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 I feel like recently I've been able to um, yeah just explore with a bit more of an open mind. Um, these just this part of, of my being. Um, I think we tend, I tend to go either towards repression because it's such a, it can be such a powerful experience, or towards um, dependence, um, creating sort of a self around this experience. And 
I think there's a lot to learn, really, no matter, you know, what our situation, um, in terms of having sexual partners or not. Um, but recently I haven't had sexual partners, uh, and so just been exploring that, um, kind of that edge of at least at times that feels very strong and it's it's not just a physical sense you know i think for me it's really tied in with emotions and and loneliness and there can be this yeah really strong really strong desire um and I think for maybe the first time, I've just been really interested and really curious and have a really open mind, like, what is this experience? Um, and there's been moments of really beautiful moments of just intimacy with that common human universal experience. Um, and I think one point about this is sort of how it can be helpful to, you know, if we're always used to acting out our sexual energy, it can be useful to explore what is it like to be right in the midst of this huge thing. And not, and, and here you have to be careful because it can easily slide into repression. Um, but that's what's been interesting is that it hasn't felt like repression. It just felt like um, I really want to see what's on like the other side. I really want to to be with this because it's yeah, like I said, it it's, it feels very deep, um, emotional. It's it's kind of like a very deep longing um, for connection, and and I found just in being with that that kind of poignancy of that of a deep connection just in in being with that at times. And then the amazing thing is there's that same release, like the tension and release. It's like that coolness of that release, which is not the coolness of no desire, but it's the coolness of non-attachment to desire or not, you know, seeing desire as, as something natural. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting how, you know, if that, that storm of desire Eventually, it has its own rhythm, and it passes, and there's that same coolness that comes from, you know, that tension and release. Um, and even, uh, in the, you know, in the midst of it, there can be, um, a sort of coolness right in the midst of all that, but it's, it's, uh, letting it play out. Yeah, and there's something uh, about uh, this sense of separation that can be really strong in, in, in this whole arena. So I want to read a little bit from Reb Anderson, um, speaking about sexual greed. And I think that's a, a, a nice term to distinguish from desire. But, you know, when... When, when it feels, um, like it's about me and I, I need to, I, yeah, just, I need this experience. I need this connection. I want it and I'll, and I don't really care. You know, I wouldn't, I won't, I won't do things, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty respectable people for the most part. But it's a very, you know, it's a powerful force. So, anyways, let me just read this. How does sexual greed arise? Self and other are seen as separate. We project reality upon the separation. From a belief in the reality of this perception, the peaceful mind of the oneness of self and other is obscured. This belief wounds our consciousness, and the wound is a source of anxiety and pain. A powerful impulse arises to reunite the split mind. 
If this other were really other, then we could live without being in union with it. But because it is not really other, our yearning is very strong. Sexual greed is powerful because at its root is this deep pain of separation. We will do almost anything, grab on to anyone, if we feel it will help close the painful gap and heal the wound. And then at the end he says, In this lifetime we are all sexual beings. Although I would add that maybe for some of us uh, that's not true. And certainly we all fluctuate in terms of how salient, how um, at the top of our experience this this aspect is. Um, In order to realize the enlightenment of the Buddhas, we must be intimate with our whole sexual being Moment by moment, standing, sitting, walking, or lying down, we vow to be intimate, to be upright with this great ball of fire. If we turn away from our sexual passion, then we freeze and beings are harmed. If we grab it, then we are burned and beings are harmed. But if we just stay close to it, walk around it, always in touch with the fact that we are sexual beings, neither identifying with nor distancing ourselves from our sexuality, then we gradually become intimate with it. With, from this intimacy, appropriate sexual conduct spontaneously emerges. We know this infinite warmth and love are there, but we do not reveal it until the time is right. So, there's a, a lot to explore. Um, another uh, category that Mark mentioned as something he noticed is uh, the dynamic of power, how that seems to be a part uh, of sexuality, at least for a lot of us. Um, Yeah, and how to be a sexual being without causing harm. How do we use our sexual energy? Can we be a sexual being, um, enjoy being a sexual being you know, see it as kind of this mystery, this life energy that has really as one of its core elements, pleasure and um, playfulness. Um, But, yeah, but obviously that's not always the case. And so just to be interested in that, and it's really interesting, like how... Where did that come from? <laughs> um, so I've been uh, doing this meta practice. I like to um, dance. So uh, um, I've been practicing meta out in downtown Minneapolis at the, well, yeah, at the places where you dance. <laughs> um, and, I, and yeah, in some ways it's felt really appropriate because you're like there, like in the midst of the swirl and all these people and you can just see really clearly in some the suffering and neediness and, and then you, and you just see, yeah, it's just in some ways it's been, um, sort of easy to just feel a lot of love towards, and you know, and people are kind of going out and having fun and sort of letting off steam, and so you can tune into that too. But, um, but yeah, but then in particular with, uh, in relationship to me being there, you know, as a sexual being, yeah, it's just been, you know, exploring, because I, I notice how quickly my heart can close. Um, it's easy to me maybe maybe it's easier to be loving, you know, in kind of a really broad universal way. But really quickly my heart can close, you know, if I feel attracted to someone and then yeah, it's just uh it's hard for me to maintain this sense of openness and playfulness. But I'm exploring that. 
how to not, how to just, uh, yeah, and, and it's and it's interesting. It really feels um, needed, and it feels like um, like the right way, you know, to be a sexual being is to really do it with love, you know, and um, but yeah, it's easy to to feel separate, you know that. You know, it's like when you when you have uh, an attract when I have an attraction, separateness seems to be really involved with that. Like, oh, I would really want to be with that person. Um, And then I think uh, another big thing is uh, that I also experienced while dancing one time was that I was, you know, have, you know, I was in a good mood, um, and then I and I was feeling pretty at ease, and then I just um, was really attracted to somebody and and had that. Pain of really wanting that, and 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 it's pleasurable too. Like desire has that that pleasurable aspect, so it really seems like um, pleasurable to really you know fantasize or think about. Yeah, I should go over there, and what could happen? And but it's like I really saw clearly that time how you can't really have. In a sense, you can't really have desire without disappointment. So it's like just an equal and opposite reaction. Like if if I'm going to kind of create that story and that juice, then I have to also feel, okay, I'm going home (laughs) by myself. And what does that feel like? And I feel like uh, that's a really tender place of just this whole area of disappointment and feeling alone sexual frustration that I'm really maybe for yeah what feels like a new exploration with a really open mind uh, and it occurred to me recently that for most of my life I was really viewing that experience of disappointment sexual frustration that separation that poignancy as um, something that it's just because I haven't found the right situation and the right circumstances. And it's not to say that that's the whole truth because there's obviously a lot of joy and connection that we can find. Um, but it just occurred to me like, oh, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness. This is a common human experience, you know, no matter what your situation is. As long as we have kind of that dualistic frame operating, whenever we don't get what we want in that moment, even if, you know, the other day we did, it's like um, just really seeing how that experience isn't something to cover up or to, it'll, it'll go away when I, when the right situations, but that's actually the teacher to, to understand. And from that, from being more intimate and more willing to feel that full range, that disappointment, that, that's part of life, then I've actually found a lot more, yeah, just ease and freedom and more lightness and playfulness just around this whole area. So I think I'll move on to the next topic. Could have probably done a whole 
talk on either any of these topics, but I'll move on um, to the topic of how we also relatedly create separation based on differences, on our differences. Um, And um, particularly, I'll talk about it through the filter of race. And I think whenever talking about uh, this topic, it's just helpful to and interesting just to see what your first reaction is. Um, I noticed I was recently at the Buddhist Insight Network conference um, representing Common Ground. It's a conference with a lot of different meditation centers coming together um, to talk and share ideas. And And there was a session on inclusivity and and even though I really um, am really excited um, about the work Common Ground's doing, trying to encourage uh, a safe, open space for people to to talk about this, my first reaction still is to get tight. And and for me, it, it was like, oh, good, and I'll be able to to tell people and, and inform people and educate people. But it, it still is this feeling of tightness. So whether it's that tightness or or whatever it is, but just to, to be aware of that and to really bring compassion to it because there's a lot of conditioning um, and fear and wanting to say the right thing and um, just a lot. And so another way to sort of maybe for me to to shift that is to to share that this topic for me actually is just as much about belonging uh, and connection as it is looking at how we create separateness. Um, And just looking at our own experience of of how we feel separate and how we relate to that. Um, Can we be curious about that? And I think there can be conditioning around that this whole conversation is about finding out what the right thing to do is and just tell me what the right thing to do is so I don't make any mistakes and offend anybody. Um, But it's really about, for me, being curious um, about, about how I'm part of society, part of this country, and as such have grown up hearing a lot of things and just just that we're in being mindful, we're being mindful of our internal experience. Um, but this really illuminates how our work, the work we do to understand our minds and how they've been conditioned, how we uh, act out our conditioning, it's it's really tied up with everyone. Um, you know, like the... And it can be painful, and I think that's why we tend not to want to look at it, because it's uh, just to, to see, just like we might discover other things about ourselves in meditating, like Steve Armstrong says, self-knowledge is not always good news. Um, yeah, but if we're not aware of our conditioning, then we're blind to it and we'll act it out. Like just one example is the um, 
the Harvard implicit bias tests that you can do. Um, you know, so yeah, and, and I did that a few months ago. And it's shocking. It shocks the mind. But it's also just really uh, empowering and and it's it really I think it really puts you on the edge of puts me on the edge of well if I take this personally it, it's really painful. Um, so there's really it's really an invitation to see the conditioned nature of our mind, the how it's not in a sense personal. Um, maybe just to share a, a little bit about just my sort of experience. Um, for a long time, I didn't really think about race. Uh, had that privilege. Um, and it's actually then, yeah, you know, and just kind of not really, I was, yeah, just through, I think just through the practice and through looking at my mind more, um, noticing my conditioning. Um, but it's really, you know, even though it's it's difficult to see certain things like, how, in a lot of sense, sense I'm, I'm biased and I have biases and I see them. And it's yeah, it's not something I would want to have. Um, and for me, it's also been about being a person of mixed race. My mom is Peruvian. My dad is American. Uh, it's just, there's been a lot of actually joy and connection um, from looking at that. And really, you know, it's like it's confusing uh, because I feel like so much about this. You know, we can think it's about figuring something out, like our identity, but for me, it's more just about seeing what's already there. Like seeing, yeah, I have my whiteness and uh, and my privilege, and and I have this sense of being other, of being a little different. That has been has been painful at times, but just opening to all of that really that connection comes from seeing the universality of it, seeing how that that desire for belonging um, is there, and how when I can see how my mind is conditioned to see parts of myself as other, to see others as other, um, it just really brings about compassion and and connection um, and owning all parts of ourselves, um, the conditioned parts, understanding how it works, that it works in this way because of past experiences and that it doesn't uh, have to be unconscious. We can see it clearly and we can um, be aware of how we can create suffering um, when we're not aware of it. So this connection didn't come from denying difference, from saying we're all the same, but from actually looking at it um, and actually 
um, taking joy and taking responsibility for all beings. How our minds, even if we don't say anything, our minds are, are microcosms of of society. So just to bring compassion to to this whole area, um, just in and of itself, is a healing. I feel for everyone else. So I would just, we have some programs coming up this weekend by Arena Weissman um, coming in to lead different programs around um, privilege and just connecting across difference. And I've just found a lot of joy in exploring this and, and the healing that comes from people being in a safe enough space to open up and share their experience. So I'd encourage you to attend anything this weekend if you can. All right, I'm going to move on to um, the experience of misery. These three just came to me, like, all together. I'm not really sure why. But it's also an experience that maybe we don't talk about a lot. Um, And um, so just to sort of normalize that experience as well. Um, And part of it is that there's just different kinds of people, just different you know, conditioning, genetic, and cultural. Um, but I appreciated um, Mark, I think, you know, I've been coming here for about eight years, so I sort of know the things he talks about. And uh, every once in a while he'll say things like, and even those of you who are relatively miserable, like you, you have moments of joy, but just that phrase, relatively miserable, it always really made me feel like that sense of inclusion <laughs> that I was talking about. It's like, yeah, that, it's like it's normalizing that. Like, yes, that's our experience for some of us. Not And and part of it is also for me, you know, looking at that story and how true is that of being a, a relatively miserable person. And But <laughs> um, but just that, that, you know, that, yeah, that, that that's, it really felt like a, an honoring of my experience. Um, and, yeah, so it's just another of these areas to really, where I'm really bringing a lot more curiosity and openness. Um, and it's just about seeing what are the causes and conditions of misery and, and being interested in that. Um, and I feel like so much of it is habit, and that's probably the biggest force that we're really up against in our in any of our aspects of our practice. Um, things that don't feel that good can actually feel comfortable because we practice them for a long time. I saw that on a long retreat. I did a long eight-month retreat after graduating from college. Um, and, uh, in, yeah, at one point I just saw really clearly how my mind was bored. You know, there wasn't, obviously there's not a lot to do. Um, and it wasn't even, I think I just wasn't in a very mindful place. I was just sort of going about the day. Um, and I just saw how my mind to entertain itself, it picked up something to worry about or to be to be miserable. But it was just really clear how it it wasn't, you know, for any it was it was really just habit and it was really just what I do or what I yeah. It's just that kind of default. But it was also had that sense of you know, because it is, you know, suffering uh 
can be exciting or can feel, you know, there can be something there that we sort of, you know, it can be our sense of self. Um, And, um, yeah, just more interested in that experience And also, I think, more seeing how practice affects, how practice transforms. Um, it's not so much in my experience that mm, misery has been replaced by happiness. It's more that I'm more, I can bear that experience more and I can uh, be more interested in it. And that, yeah, so just to sort of look at what, when we think of our ideal of progress, what that looks like, because it may look different. It may actually just be more about just being more comfortable with whatever our baseline of happiness is. Um, I feel like in this society in particular, there's a lot of emphasis on exuberance and... Um, and I've just found a lot um, how my preferred mode of happiness um, is more quiet than that. But it's just as deep. Um, and how even, uh, yeah, how even that experience of unhappiness, it it's all like attitude is, is really important. I'm just more okay with being kind of uh, grumpy at times. And so then when I'm more okay with it, I don't act it out as much and, and I don't, it doesn't feel as heavy. And it, in, in some ways it can even, you know, I'm just more comfortable with that as a sort of characteristic. And I heard, I read, there was a whole, Inquiring Mind, which is a Buddhist journal that was about um, a whole issue that was about kind of um, dark or painful emotions. And one of the teachers was just sharing about how they're sort of a depressive type, but how they're kind of a cheerful depressive. So, you know, like there's, everything has its different sides, you know, like having a sense of humor and being able to, you know, like I am a songwriter and so a lot of my songs are sad or just, but it's it brings me joy. Um, and uh, another quote from Charles Schultz is, happiness is a sad song. And I just, yeah, I really get that, like... <laughs> But that's not everyone's thing. So, And then another part of this is sort of how experiences like misery um, actually unravel. Um, and Einstein said no problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. So I think that's another way we sort of get some lightness around some of these these heavy things is when we see, when we have moments where we see their constructed nature, um, where, we, where we see that it, they can be put down, that they really exist. We start to get curious in their causes and conditions and how if there's misery, there's causes for misery. Um, but kind of from that quote of no problem can be solved by the same level of consciousness. Um, like if someone came in uh, as a newcomer and was just really caught up in their story, you know, the first instruction we get in meditation practice is how 
to connect with the body and how to put things down, how to touch um, that groundedness. And I feel like that's so helpful. Um, and that a lot of these questions um, or these, these, this pain, um, it doesn't get solved directly by thinking about it. Um, but it sort of comes from another level where we see its nature. And then even when we are caught in it, it's just a little lighter because we understand it a little better. And for me, it's been helpful to hold a, a don't-know mind. Um, for me, it's when I have a lot of emotional pain, there's usually a lot of compulsive um, patterns of um, wanting either to figure something out or solve something or in some way do something. <laughs> and... And it's easy to go kind of on either end of just saying, oh, just putting sort of the, the Buddhist stamp on it, like just you just accept this. Um, or on the other hand, um, sort of taking and running with whatever that distraction is. So I found it useful to just practice not knowing, like being in the midst of something intense, having all of these intentions arise to do something about it and not to say that I should not do any of those things and sometimes maybe I do take some action but it's just it's just really clear that what's really asking for attention or what's really needs investigation um, is that experience itself of intensity And so that don't know mind is actually a real protection and it I feel like one of the strongest desires is the this desire for certainty and for um wanting to know. Um and that's that's really what gets activated for me in these sticky and these um yeah hard places. Um But there's also this, another thing sort of related is like, for me, anxiety is, has always sort of uh, been part of this. And, and it feels so tied in with the experience of freedom as well. Like, what's the difference between chaos and anxiety and then freedom and non-clinging? They're really similar. And so a lot of the times my experiences of fear and freedom, the freedom of not needing to do anything about it, um, but it's, it's like always right on that edge. Um, but there's freedom there. Not, And this is where it's kind of challenges us what is what is our idea of freedom? Is it where there's no hard emotions, or is it um, a non-resistance? And um, yeah, it's just interesting, like. how my experience of freedom is often right in the midst of something painful and almost overwhelming. But I feel like that's those are the places where we really have a lot to learn.
sort of our last stand of ground, of solidity. So just to have, you know, I think an open mind about like Joseph Goldstein describes practice as going to our edges where we're not quite comfortable. We all have places, whether it's, you know, different emotions or different situations in our life where that's our edge. And then just by being there with compassion and, and awareness, we gradually are a little more tolerant of that emotion of that place understand a little better how it works how our mind tends to react to that and then then that expands so to just hold uh, open that uh, the possibility of being curious about these difficult places and that's really what it feels like more it's like I've I've done running away so much. I know I'm just less interested in that and more clearly see how it doesn't lead anywhere. So even though I do still, it's just more interest um, in looking at these uh, stuck places because I've seen the freedom that comes from not needing to do anything other than allow that to flow. So, I'll just end with a poem by, I think she was a Zen nun, Izumi Shikibu. Watching the moon at dawn Solitary, mid-sky, I knew myself completely, no part left out. So, I want to open it up. (laughs) hope I gave you enough to think about, and it'd be really great... um, to hear from you uh, on any of these uh, areas, what you've been learning, uh, difficulties, um, or just more in general about including all aspects of our life and our practice. So what comes to mind? And any questions too? Hi, my name is Kenneth, and um, a while back there was a speaker that, I don't know why I'm stuck on this, but she mentioned that everything was path, and I, I just have this feeling that if everything is path, there is no path, so I'm kind of like in this floating world right now, and if there's anybody else that... <laughs> can comment on that. It feels like a, uh, what's that word? Uh, it's kind of an, a, a puzzle or a riddle. Mm-hmm. So where do, where do you stand with that, that everything is path? Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like, yeah. you know, inherent in that is its opposite, that Nothing is path. Yeah. For me, the the path has always been clear. Um, going back to misery, that was really clear. So, and that's actually can be a kind of a transition in practice too. Is for those of us who sort of started practice because we were suffering a lot, um, then our practice can have a very that's a very specific goal. And um, and at a certain point, that becomes too gross, and we have to get just more interested um, for its own sake, not just to sort of solve a problem, because that sort of uh, 
supposes that there is a problem, so then we're always kind of in that dualistic mode. So it can be really helpful to, like, for example, that story, the story of being a relatively miserable person. You know, how true is that? Uh, there's been so much joy in my life. So different ways we can sort of challenge if we have more of that, of a narrow view of practice. And then sort of what you're bringing up is maybe a, a too broad of a view where maybe we don't have a clear sense of suffering sort of motivating us. Um, and so then maybe, because the Buddha was very clear that all of the practices and teachings were uh, practical means about addressing that main question of suffering. Um, so sometimes if it's not that clear, then we can get interested in it. You know, if, if our lives are feeling relatively stable and easeful, not that we want to not enjoy that or we think we have to look for for suffering, but to see if there's actually maybe attachment to things going well. And that in itself, we can look, oh, you know, I'm holding on to things continuing to go well. And isn't that interesting? And maybe I can more fully enjoy my life if I um, relax that. But I think it's right that everything is path. And um, yeah, and, and but but we do need some direction. You know, when we sit down to meditate, there's always a theme. Sometimes that theme's very particular, like the breath. Sometimes it can just be, is there any greed in the mind? Is there any uh, aversion in the mind? Or we can get interested in um, impermanence and how everything is arising and passing and what's our relationship to that? Is there any wanting to hold on? Um, are we are we holding on even in subtle ways, you know, just to concepts like being here, uh, being this sort of person. So there's more subtle sometimes aspects that we can get interested in, but there does have to be interest, I think. Um, And then just awareness can be a great sort of theme as well, like um, the nature of awareness and how it's ever-present, receptive, doesn't isn't bothered by whatever is being known in that awareness and then what it feels like when there's a self who is bothered by something being known but i really think that um, to have that attitude that really broad attitude because i think it's inevitable that when we start and as we continue there's going to be blind spots and um, areas that we sort of say this isn't included in practice, but it really um, only works when we're including all of these different aspects. That's the mic over here. My name is Andy, and um, I just wanted to say I really appreciate you bringing up the three subjects that you did. Um, I've lived a few years, and I don't think I've had anyone bring up any, of, mm-hmm. <laughs> hardly, of the topics. Mm-hmm. And it's so, um, life is just full. Mm of those three topics and other difficult things. Um, And so uh, I think you just gave me my fuel for the rest of my life (laughs) for conversations. (laughs) I'm going to definitely take it to my family, you know, and, and to, um, to the tea group here Mm -hmm. and stuff. I mean, it's just all three of them, and you brought such interesting 
um, and varied uh, things to say about them too, things to consider and think about, definitely um, piqued my interest in terms of uh, exploring those three things more, and particularly with other people because... Yeah. Um, you know, I think especially with my family, it's just boring and they won't talk about pretty much anything. <laughs> but, I mean, seriously, I'll listen to this this talk again and again and get some practice and mm, well, thanks. liven things up. Thank you very much. You're welcome. At the end of this, I was sort of reflecting that um, with all of this, like, uh, who needs entertainment? Like, and that's sort of how, yeah, I'm just more interested in in, in all of these things and more, but just like um, how there's always something to pay attention to and to investigate and something going on. And it seems, it feels a little like a shift from seeing life through sort of fear and hope or just like, um, you know, trying to get something out of life really in any way to being really interested because you have the sense that there's a lot to learn and there's a lot that we don't know yet and there's a lot of freedom available and it's always right here is what's asking for attention. But just that, uh, yeah, like, who needs anything else? Like, it's all here, but we don't always want to watch the channel that's on, maybe. We'd rather watch another channel, but there's always a channel. But yeah, anyways. Have time for maybe one more comment or question. One, oh, my name is Jim. One of the things that, um, you know, when I first started coming here, Mark started talking about avoidance and, you know, that's a form of suffering. And I think back to when I, this has to do with race, and I think back to when I was a child, you know, lived in, a, lived in a very diverse place, went to a very diverse school, interacted with a very diverse amount of people. And then getting older and thinking, oh, I want to be, you know, where do I go to find people that are more like me? And I think that is somewhat, you know, that part of avoidance and suffering. That uh, rather than just, you know, being able to accept being around people that are very, you know, different and have different opinions and have different backgrounds that... In some ways, it's kind of a survival instinct of that most of the things I do, like, you know, I come here and everyone here has made the choice to come here. You know, everywhere I work, people have made the choice to go there. Um, most of the things I do, everyone's made those same choices and I end up being around people that are just very, very similar to me without a whole lot of diversity. And I think back on being a child in some ways that whatever happened to that where just living in a world where everyone just interacted with everyone else. Mm, thanks for sharing that. I've sort of noticed this around, um, I think before I used to ask people more um, about their background, their ethnic background, because it was interesting and I could share my background and it felt like a way of connecting, but now I, 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 it's not like I consciously made that decision. I think part of it was just seeing how that can, um, well, that it, it doesn't actually tell me that much about somebody and that it, yeah, it's, it also sort of felt like a way of wanting to define and wanting to have some solidity because I feel like kind of what you were pointing to a little bit 
is how to really be intimate with somebody. Um, we also have to open to the fact that there are differences and that we can't really completely be in someone else's shoes and to sort of be there with kind of the mystery of another person without trying to, okay, I know you're in this box. Um, and it, yeah, I think it just that decision that I made unconsciously just came more from being more comfortable sort of hanging out with people on a human level and um, in that sort of mystery. But it's time to end. I want to thank everybody for coming um, and for sharing. Um, Just take a moment to let go of the words. And we can dedicate whatever goodness comes out of our sharing and reflecting how to be skillful in the world. May that be shared with all beings. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.